0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. My name is Tim Cartwright. I'm one of the pastors here at Temple Bible Church, and I'm glad to be here with you today. Um, It's really exciting. I'm I'm excited. First of all, uh, I did raid Harry Potter's closet, in case you guys were wondering, (laughs) Uh, or depending on how old you are, Freddy Krueger's. But, uh... Thank you. Appreciate it. <clears throat> I might take notes. Um, so I'm really excited, and there's a few reasons for my excitement. I was just thinking about this morning, and thinking about all that goes in to, to pull off a Sunday morning, and I think about the deacons taking care of business, and I think about all the people volunteering uh, in the family ministry and things like that, and, and then we have the worship team, and, and we have college students who are serving lunch at Feed My Sheep right now. And then we have uh, junior high kids who are going to go out after this service and hand out uh, cookies to elderly people, bags of cookies with with encouraging notes to uh, those in assisted living homes. So all these things that are going on this morning alone. And I love to watch that and see the body of Christ in action. And I love uh, being a part of Temple Bible Church, and hopefully you do too. So we're uh, going through a series called Disconnected, which is a series on the family. And um, we are kind of covering different aspects of the family. We're going to be in Ephesians 5 today. And so uh, in leading to this talk on the family, I found this great video that will help you, uh, especially you husbands, with some great marriage tips because we all need great marriage tips, right? And so this video is going to give you some awesome marriage tips. So let's go ahead and check that out first.
1: I'm Dr. Gary Smalley, and I've been helping marriages for years improve, and I've got a couple of friends who have some very unique insights into marriage, and I want you to meet them. Hey, thank you, Gary. My name is Johnny. And I'm Chachi. And you know, marriages is something that I think we're all excited about and something that we think we can bring a lot of wisdom to. Isn't that right, Dr. Dobson? Uh, Smalley? Oh, well, oh. That,
2: that's sorry. our faux pas. Yes, We've got some killer marriage tips we think that are really going to knock your socks off. So let's do some dancing, get this party started, and help marriages out all over the country. Let's do it.
1: No, let's go ahead and just roll with the tips. No dance. When you get the chance, finish your wife's sentences. For her. It's important that she knows that you know where she's going with a particular thought or sentence.
2: Yeah, this says, I know you, I love you and you're predictable, but in a good way.
1: When on vacation, have fun, but make sure your wife knows exactly how much this thing is costing. Now remember, allowing her to feel guilt can actually be a good thing.
2: Right you are, because guilt is actually an acronym for good financial stewardship. No, that's... Yeah, it is. It is. It, it down, it, that doesn't it make sense. It is, it is, it is, it is, it is. That does not make sense its 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 that not make sense
1: When you're in an argument, it's key to use the time that your spouse is talking to come up with what you want to say next. So it goes like this. You speak, and then while she's speaking, you think, and then you speak again.
2: And that's how the killer comebacks happen.
1: Surprise your wife with a weekend trip for you and your buddies. Husbands, Doing this will help her see that you're taking care of your needs.
2: And taking care of your needs will give you the ability to take care of her needs. You know, putting your kids in timeout works for most parents. But putting your spouse in timeout can also be really effective. (laughs) Putting your spouse in the timeout chair will hopefully help her see things
1: from a different perspective, preferably yours. And if you get any pushback... I'd let her know that you're having a hard time telling her apart from the children. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. Okay. Whenever your wife tells you about something she wants to buy, respond with the sound effect of a cash register. Here's a little role play for you. Hey, honey, I'm going to go buy some skinny jeans. Cha-ching. <laughs> hey, honey, I'm going to go get some bread now. Cha-ching. <laughs> you know, guys, uh... Those were kind of horrible tips. Okay.
2: I guess she didn't like them that much.
1: I mean, when you think about it, uh, those were killer tips, and I think they'd like kill most marriages. Well,
2: <laughs> I guess we're at an impasse then. Yeah. Awkward. Hey, Gary, here's an idea, though. To keep the video rolling, let's just do the robot at the end and send this thing off with some fun, if you know what I'm saying. We're going to do that
1: with us? I, I, t- I tell you what, I was, you know, uh, a little bit uncomfortable by this. And it's kind of like weird.
0: So uh, that's all we need. and we can go ahead and pray and be done. You guys are good. <clears throat> all right, I guess we need to move on. Three weeks ago, uh, Chase helped us understand. Um, This concept of being disconnected, that we're we're not created by God to live disconnected lives. This past Sunday, Gary showed us how God takes broken, disconnected, messed up people in marriage to show off His glory. And so today, we'll look at the crucial role that God has called husbands to in the gospel story. And how fitting is it, it is Valentine's week. Just like my wife calls her birthday, birthday month, this is Valentine's week. So, men, you have no excuse, you heard it from me, it's Valentine's Day coming up this week, so there you go, that was for free. So, it's very important for us to get this and and understand this, but it may be tempting for some of you, ladies, or those that aren't married, or those that are in college, not even thinking of marriage yet, maybe, uh, to check out, maybe get on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, I know college students don't use Facebook, but uh, for those that are on there, maybe Texting a friend, thinking about lunch for me, thinking about the Sixers Lakers game later this afternoon. I might check out. But I I don't really want you to do that because these principles that you're going to hear today, uh, geared toward husbands and found in Scripture, are not just for husbands. These principles are great to follow and understand as we understand the gospel. So, in order for us to really uh, get after in Ephesians 5, what Paul has to say, first of all, we really need to understand what is marriage. What is the point of marriage? What is marriage here for? And why, if we are married, why are we married? John and Noel Piper give a great quote on this. They say, marriage is meant by God to put that gospel reality on display in the world. That is why we are married. That is why all married people are married, even when they don't know and embrace the gospel. So even people that don't know the gospel, the purpose of marriage from The time and when time began and when marriage began was to display the gospel, was if you were in the Old Testament to look forward to the Messiah, and now that we're looking back on the Messiah, it's still all about the gospel. And some of you maybe have, have come into this room and really not thought about your marriage being a display of the gospel, but the reality is that's what it's supposed to be. It's not just two people that think each other are hot and, and then come together and date and then and tie the knot and then eventually you know have kids and have a family. This purpose is different. This purpose is foundational to who God is. It's foundational to what Scripture talks about, and that's what marriage is for. I love how Dave Tate, one of our pastors, illustrates this. He illustrates it, uh, I'll just steal it, he's done it up here on the stage before, but he illustri- illustrates it with a picture of the Grand Canyon. I don't know we got it there, yeah, the picture of the Grand Canyon, we have this sign here, and it says, Ah Point, right? Anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? All right, so those that have been uh, can uh, appreciate this, those like myself who hope to go one day can just look at this picture for now, but... The picture says, I mean, the sign says ooh-ah point. And the idea of how some of us look at marriage and the flawed way we look at marriage is this. We look at the sign and we appreciate the sign and we're like, wow, that's some nice little wood there, that, those long nails, that engraving job. Ooh, it says ooh-ah point, so kind of like a little funny thing going on there. And we spend all our time looking at the sign. And appreciating the sign for what it is and the amazing way that that person put that sign in and got it to stay where it's at without seeing the great splendor and glory beyond the sign. And what we do in marriage sometimes is we look at marriage in the way society describes marriage and we just see it this way in a basic form, not realizing that it's supposed to point people to the greater glory of God. But it's supposed to point people to something bigger than marriage itself, than husband and wife. It's supposed to point to the gospel. So we'll see a few observations here in Ephesians chapter 5 on reconnected husbands as opposed to disconnected husbands. Let's look at Ephesians 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So we see that a reconnected husband loves his wife like Christ loves the church. This letter that was written by Paul to the church of Ephesus is a letter that describes... This love, this word love is used in the Greek language. It's agapeo love. And in the Greek language, that language has a way better ability than ours to describe things. And it describes this love in this way. To love dearly and also to seek the highest good of another. It's an interesting statement. To seek the highest good of another. When I have the opportunity to do weddings and I have the bride and groom in front of me, I challenge them with a message and encourage them in their coming marriage. And one of the things I like to highlight is Romans 12.10. And the idea in that scripture is the idea of outdoing one another and showing honor. Using your competitive juices uh, to, to say, you know what? I'm going to esteem you higher than you esteem me. Not, does she esteem me? Does she honor me like she should? Instead, I got the focus off myself and instead, I'm seeking and striving to outdo her in showing honor, seeking the highest good for her. You know, this kind of love is a heavy burden. Anybody that enters in or even thinks about marriage should not enter it lightly, especially a husband. As it's compared to Jesus Christ and what he did for the church, we see that Jesus Christ bore a heavy burden. Look at him in the garden. He's praying to his father and asking for that cup to be taken from him. And in that moment, he's even sweating, literally sweating drops of blood in agony over the thought of this burden that was coming. And we are in the same way challenged to love our wives like Christ loved the church. It's a heavy burden. It's a burden That we are to bear as husbands. And some of you might jugglingly say, well, yeah, it is a heavy burden to love my wife. Absolutely. but We need to take it seriously and say, you know what? This is a burden that's placed on us by God himself. So what did Christ do? How did he love the church? Well, we see in the scripture that verse 25, he gave himself up. He willingly gave himself up. The model of headship here is giving of yourself. It's a call to die. It's a call to sacrifice your selfish desires for the good of someone else. To lay your rights down, to lay your own desires down, to serve your wife, to serve your spouse. So it's a... Interesting thing when I think about this passage and as it relates to my personality and how I interact with my wife, uh, my personality and uh, the way God created me is, is to be with people and to really love getting people together and gathering together, whether it's a party, whether it's going on trips, whether it's going to different places, uh, filling my schedule up with things, whether it's sports and other activities, and I love, love, love to be able to hang out and enjoy time with others. Well, like most of you, maybe you are attracted to someone opposite of you. And my wife doesn't really appreciate a lot of those things that I do. And she didn't have to tell me this. I recognize this pretty clearly that I suffer from a disease that some of you may suffer from. It's called FOMO, right? Right? And especially now with the generation of always connected, we're seeing what we're missing out on, right? We're always seeing things that we have that fear of missing out. I actually had this conversation with my oldest daughter the other day in the car because she was thinking and talking about something she was going to miss and it was because of a decision we as parents made, right? Of course, and she wasn't too happy with it. And I said, Sydney, you know, you and I are very alike. I I get you here. (laughs) Trust me. Yeah, whatever, dad. No, really. We both have the same disease. It's called FOMO. What? FOMO? Yeah. Fear of missing out. And the reality is we get so caught up in even things that are good things, but too much of these good things end up and ended up in my relationship with my wife, hurting my wife. Too much travel. Now, I'm not saying uh, these things are bad. Going to Rwanda to help train pastors, is that horrible? Well, yes, if you're neglecting your wife. Serving others and giving of yourself at Feed My Sheep, CTLC, helping hands, all these different places, devoting all this time and energy, is that bad? Well, yeah, if it's at the cost of your wife. Raising your kids and being at all their stuff that we overload ourselves with, are those things bad? Well, yeah, if it's at the cost of your marriage. And the Holy Spirit had to slap me around last year to really help me really grasp what I was doing in my marriage to help me to see that I got to a point where, yeah, filling up and saying, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm doing this, this, and this. In reality, I really wasn't serving my wife. And I wasn't laying my wife down, my, my life down for my wife. And so it was a real uh, eye-opening experience. And in Philippians 2, if you want to turn over there, it really helps us understand this better when it comes to what Christ did for the church. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Men, this is what you're asked to do. Laying yourself down for your bride. Serving her as Christ served the church. B.B. Warfield, a great Princeton theologian, shares his insights on this about Jesus loving the church. He was not led by his divine impulse out of the world, driven back into the recesses of his own soul to brood morbidly over his own needs until to gain his own seemed worth all sacrifice to him. He was led by his love for others into the world to forget himself and the needs of others. To sacrifice self once for all upon the altar of sympathy. Self-sacrifice brought Christ into the world, and self-sacrifice will lead us, his followers, not away from, but into the midst of men. As a Christian, you should find your worth in sacrifice. Sacrifice. It goes against what the world has to say but it is paramount to us understanding our lives as it relates to the gospel. It's all about sacrifice. How are we sacrificing? Paul goes on in verse 27 to talk about the bride. He talks about this preparation in verse 27 so that he might present the church, Jesus presenting the church to himself in splendor without spot a wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And you kind of picture here a bride getting uh, ready for her wedding day and the work that goes in. Some brides, you know, are pretty laid back, "Ah, whatever, but most brides are pretty into that day, right? They're pretty excited, got to pick out just the right dress and just the right flowers and the right venue and and all these different things that go into preparation. And even on that day, getting the makeup just right and getting the hair just right and all these things to present herself, right? And in the same way, we have this situation where Jesus prepares his bride to present to himself and to the Father as glorious and without blemish, you think, why would Paul put that in there? And he's talking to husbands. And he's helping us understand something that's very serious that I know for myself I didn't take seriously and still don't like I should. But the reality is, you have been entrusted something, husbands. You've been entrusted a gift, and it's called your wife. This is the gift that God has blessed you with. And guess what? One day, you get to present her back to God. And the question I think we all need to soberly consider is, how am I handing her back? Is she closer to God than when I met her? Is she a deeper follower of Jesus because of what she's seen in me? Am I taking that responsibility seriously, or am I out doing my thing, just checking in just enough to get by as a husband? Or am I truly taking that seriously? I'm presenting this woman back to the Father. There's a heavy burden, but it's not a burden we can check out on. As a Christian, we have this responsibility. As a husband, you have this responsibility. Part of this concept is also holiness, pure and without blemish. Bride and groom, they seek to present themselves holy to one another, and husbands were called to pursue holiness as well. Author from Gospel Coalition says, If holiness is found lacking in our lives, then it will normally be lacking in our family members as well. The greatest impetus to their growth in Christ is our growth in Christ. And speaking of sacrifice, a passage always pops in my head and i always have to share from the stage over and over again because it fits so well with so much of this topic that we talk about is matthew 20:26 20, and 27 this is jesus response to the request for preferential treatment by a mommy out there that wanted her sons to have a great place on the right and the left of jesus And what does Jesus say? Who is great? Well, here he says, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Husbands, you are called to serve your wife and to show love in that way. So not only does a reconnected husband love his wife like Christ loves the church, but we also see in this passage that a reconnected husband also cares for his bride. Look at verse 28 of Ephesians 5. Verse 28 says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So you're called to love your wife as an extension of your own body. The Scripture says here at the end of this passage and throughout even in Genesis that the two become one. You are one body together. It's interesting in our society, you know, there's never been a time like now where we're more focused on um, being healthy and working out and, you know, we got these things on our wrists that tell us how lazy we are, you know, and things like that, right? Well, some of you maybe work out more, but... uh, a lot of us, we see and we, we're, we're more uh, understanding of what we need to do, right? More than ever. But the challenge is simple. You know, some respond, but maybe just hitting the Domino's app and saying next month, right? Like, again, <laughs> it's too big a burden to bear, right? Oh, uh, uh, next month. But some take it seriously and get down to business. We all are on a spectrum. We all are either here where we know what we should be doing for our health, and maybe some of us are over here where we're just like freaks and and work out crazy and annoy our friends sometimes, right? And we're somewhere in here. But the reality is this, this isn't an option right now. When we're talking about caring for our bride in the same way. We are commanded to love our wives just like we cherish and take care of our own bodies. Just like we take care of our own bodies, we're called to care for her. And unfortunately, we take a similar negative attitude to working out, recognizing that it's too much work to care for our bride and check out to the lowest standard of what it means to be a husband, which the lowest standard in my brain that popped up was Homer Simpson. Uh, But you can probably insert any other character that's deemed a husband on TV because uh, that's usually what happens, right? And throw someone like that, a big oaf up there. So we say it's too difficult. It's too big a burden. So what am I going to do? I'm going to still provide, and I'm still going to check in on her. I mean, I won't forget Valentine's Day, and hopefully won't forget our anniversary, but I I can't do all that. And the thing I would say to myself, if I'm answering that way, or to you, is, no, you can't. You can't do all that. But the gospel lived out through you can understanding Jesus and what he did for you enables you to be able to live that out and to be able to be a sacrifice. And then he does say here, and Paul does this a number of times, he talks about loving yourself. Like, wait a second here. Are we supposed to not love ourselves? You know, we hear this all the time and we see Paul saying loving yourself and some of you are like, see, see, I'm supposed to be selfish. See, I'm supposed to be a narcissist. Paul told me to, right? well, we need to understand Paul's writings to understand he's not saying be focused on yourself, love yourself, love yourself. What he's saying is the the passages that he writes about this is that it's always more than yourself. So there's an understanding Paul gives that you are going to love yourself. Just an understanding. He doesn't have to tell you to. You just are. And even in a depression state and a difficult, even in a struggle emotionally, you're still in a way loving yourself because the attention's on you, right? But he's saying, no, let it be something that is greater than the love for yourself. You know, Candace and I, my wife and I, we're competitive. You know, we we got a lot of competitive juices flowing and uh, we can't play board games together. Like, especially with a family, like it's just a horrible testimony to our kids, Because usually I end up being accused of cheating for some reason and, uh, you know, get called out with the cards under the table or too many that I laid down on Uno when you're only supposed to lay down one, right? Uh, So, uh, you know, I get caught sometimes on that and I, I, you know, I get competitive. I want to win. And we pass it on to our kids and want to win. And and early on in our marriage, that, that really wasn't helpful. Because in marriage, what I was doing when we first got married is I had in my brain, of course, a scoreboard. Because that's the way I think. I grew up in a, a family of athletes, and that's just what we do. It's always a scoreboard, right? So what did I do? I imposed that onto my marriage, which is a horrible mistake, college students. Uh, imposed that on my marriage. It was like, well, my, my uh, love language is to to. Do acts of kindness and serve others. And so in my puny brain, I thought I was impressing my wife. I'm serving her, doing the dishes, you know, doing all these things. That sound great. You're like, man, I wish my husband did that. Uh, But I was doing these things, and in my mind, I had a scoreboard, and I was winning. I was, for real. I was winning. But what a dumb way to look at marriage And it was a sinful way to look at marriage because the reality is she didn't receive that as love. That's just what people do. And so I'm here with my scoreboard thinking I'm winning, I'm disappointed that my wife's not appreciating it and saying good things about me because that's another one, words of affirmation. I'm all messed up. So here it is. You know, tell me I'm great, right? Right? And the reality is, no, that's what you do as a husband. Hey, Tim, it's the gospel, right? That's what you're supposed to be doing. And so it was just a danger to my marriage and something I had to wake up, and the Holy Spirit had to get a hold of my life there as well. Sounds like a, uh, a common theme. So let's look at four results of embracing the gospel as a husband. Four results of really taking the gospel seriously. Number one, a husband who embraces the gospel gives love generously. Gives love generously. For those with children, this is so crucial. May there never be a doubt in her mind that you treasure her above all others and allow your children to see this affection. Your embrace of mom should be a regular vision for their little eyes to behold. Loving generously. For your kids to be able to see that even when it grosses them out. And tell you to stop it, beg you to stop. Let them see that. And, you know, it's okay to take a little liberty there and embarrass your kids sometimes. Number two, a husband who embraces the gospel gives grace liberally as well. You understand how much you've been forgiven. And in any relationship, including your wife, you realize Jesus has forgiven you over and over and over and over and over, and over again. And you give that grace. We want to help you understand, look, we're not talking about an abusive relationship where you got to get out in order to even start a process of forgiving. But in this moment, we're talking about grace, that you're giving them what they don't deserve, just like Jesus gave you what you don't deserve. Number three, a husband who embraces the gospel gives honor freely, great respect, and high esteem. Now, I try to model this for my sons, for Owen and Noah, and I, I fail horribly at this a lot. Even yesterday, you know, anytime we ride in my truck, uh, we got six people in the family, right? So we're jam-packed, we got a kid right here in the middle. All of a sudden, it's like this, this kryptonite to our family where it's like things just start melting down, stuff starts getting thrown, people yelling at each other. I'm trying to turn around and and separate people while I'm driving. Forget texting and driving. I'm trying to discipline and drive, right? And it's just a horrible thing. Stuff's up on the dashboard because I I, I operate in my office, out of my truck sometimes, and stuff's falling all over my, my wife, and we're getting mad at each other. And here we are like, arguing with each other, Sydney's in the middle, catching the brunt of both sides of it, right? And you guys are acting like I'm the only one who's done this. (laughs) So here I am, supposed to be honoring my wife, considering more highly than me, esteeming her, right? And just yesterday, here's the test, and I failed. Well, do I give up? Well, I'm going to screw up. Eh, Forget it. No, I continue to press myself into the gospel and see that the Holy Spirit gives me those moments even to do correction later to say, you know what, kids, dad messed up. Showing her that you esteem her and honor her in those moments is a powerful thing. And then number four, a husband who embraces the gospel makes learning how to listen a priority. I don't know if any of you have this problem like I do, but I'm horrible at this at times. And the Holy Spirit helps me sometimes, and I, I submit to God in these areas, but oftentimes I'm not a great listener, and I'm, I'm learning how to be a great listener. Our slide operator, he's a counselor, been a counselor for a while, school counselor, shout out to Jim Deacon. But he kind of even helped me understand how this operates practically And he said, you know, here's what you do. And this is a principle that he learned over the years. Here's what you do with your wife. You're having a conversation and you're talking. Instead of doing the awesome marriage tips from before and thinking of what you're going to say next. Instead, you actually repeat back what you heard. So what you're saying is this. So she can hear what you think you're hearing, right? Because sometimes it's not at all what she said. So it helps, and it's a helpful little tool to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to repeat back, and you know what it prevents me from doing? Doing what I've done a lot in my marriage, which is Mr. Fix-It. I'm listening to my wife, and as she's talking, I'm already crafting an answer to help her solve her problem. Well, if you do this, if you try, have you tried that? No, I haven't tried that, really? Like sometimes I just wish I could get those words and just cram them back in my mouth. Right? Because It's just saying because I'm just thinking and I have all the answers and I'm wise and whatever. When in reality, it's like, how about you just stop talking for a second and actually esteem her enough to listen and repeat back maybe what she said to show. And this is 20 years of marriage still. I'm still learning this, junk. So... It's a challenge that we all receive. And Propaganda, he's an amazing poet and rapper, shares some... Did I call it junk? I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't mean it literally. Uh, So Propaganda, he's an amazing poet and rapper. He shares some great insight in his song, Be Present. He says... uh, This is a conversation with his wife. He says, So I tend to think of life in terms of movie clips or tweetable moments. Somehow I've convinced myself they last longer that way. I was proved wrong when my wife called my phone. Now, single men, take notes. I'm no expert, but I don't think she was kidding. She talked about some other stuff, which I really don't remember. I was too busy in my head composing a tweet where I would quote her with some sort of clever hashtag about marriage and about how much I love her to be paying attention to her at that moment. I think what snapped me back was the silence which indicated I was supposed to have some sort of response to whatever she was talking about. Wow. So he's thinking about saying good things about his wife, right? Even as she's talking, but he's so obsessed with his hashtags and his his post and his Twitter account that he forgets, oh, I'm actually talking to a human being that needs a response from me. And he showed how He was at fault even in that moment. And lastly, a reconnected husband is devoted to his wife above all else outside of his relationship with Jesus. Verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I won't spend too much time on this because I know uh, Pastor Gary last week spent a good chunk of time on this. The idea of leaving and cleaving goes back to the book of Genesis and he actually looked forward to this passage in his sermon to say, hey, it exists here and it also exists in the New Testament. The idea of leaving and cleaving, the idea that you need to separate yourself from your parents. It's time. Cut it off. You're no more asking the opinion of your mom about things. You're no more asking your opinion. We can ask their opinion, but you don't value it as highly as you value your relationship with your wife. It's greater than mom and dad. And kids, I'm sorry, it's greater than you as well. The husband, you should be loving your wife far above your children. Your children hopefully will be gone someday. That sounds very rude, but they will be gone someday, right? They will be out of there. And the question is, how have you loved your wife? And If you don't start now, it's not going to be too easy after they leave. Leave and cleave. Become one. Wives, here's some encouragement for you. Three things you can do for your husband. Pray earnestly. Man, the power of prayer for your husband is so crucial. Number two, affirm every good thing you see. Now, this is powerful, wives, because a husband needs to hear that. And you say, well, I think those things. Well, you would like your husband to be a mind reader, but he's not. So if you think them, say them. Say affirming things to your husband. And then number three, ask to talk about things. Don't come at him confrontationally and do it apart from the children. Do it in another room or later that day. So to wrap it up, we have a disconnected husband lives for himself. A reconnected husband thinks of his wife first. A disconnected husband keeps score. A reconnected husband serves like Christ. A disconnected husband punts on his spiritual responsibility. A reconnected husband pursues a relationship with Jesus. A disconnected husband sees his wife's value based on what she does. And a reconnected husband gives biblical honor to his wife. A disconnected husband loves conditionally. And a reconnected husband loves generously. I'd like to leave you with this final passage as we close. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul gives a very concise but powerful two verses here that I think we can wrap up with. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13 and 14 says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let's pray. Dear God, uh, we're thankful for our time together. We're thankful for the encouragement from your word to understand marriage in light of the gospel, to understand that we as husbands are failures when it comes to this, especially when we are not in tune with your spirit. Lord, live through us so that we can love our our wives as you love the church. can care for our bride like you care for the church. Lord, for those in here that may not understand the gospel and maybe haven't trusted in you yet, help them to know that today can be the day that they see that you sacrificed your son on the cross for their sins and that they can look to you, trust in you, confess their sin, and that you will forgive them. Bless us as we go out this week. Help us to apply what we've learned and to grow in our understanding of the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great week.